This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and this is Barnan, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week on the show, we're going to be reviewing two tournaments that happened and also two very different performances on opposite sides of the spectrum. Coming up soon, we're going to be talking about the disastrous SEA Games campaign in Cambodia where the Malaysian contingent fell short of the target of 40 gold medals. But first up, we're going to turn our attention to the recently concluded Sudeman Cup, a tournament where China ended up champions for the 13th time after beating South Korea. Malaysia placed a commendable third with a bronze medal for the third time in Sudeman Cup history. Starting at what's been dubbed the Group of Death, the national contingent cruised past India, Chinese Taipei, as well as Minos, Australia, before getting knocked out of the semi-finals to South Korea. Nicholas Anil joins us on the program this week, and we kick-started this review with the huge quarter-final win over Denmark. That victory over Denmark uh, was uh, surely a big boost for the national contingent. Obviously, everyone wanted to see uh, that epic showdown between Mizijia and Victor Axelsen, you know, happen uh, as it should happen. But unfortunately for Victor, you know, he pulled his hamstring uh, just a couple of minutes in and had to retire. And that gave a massive boost to the Malaysians. Uh, they were already 2 nil up at that point after mm-hmm. Victor uh, was injured. So it was a real uh, morale-boosting victory over Denmark. And against South Korea, I think it was just fatigue because the manner in which the scheduling was organized. So South Korea played their uh, final group game or, or rather quarterfinal match in the morning the day before mm. while Malaysia only played at night. Mm. And the semi-final match was in the morning. So the Malaysian team barely had just a couple of hours rest before playing South Korea. Mm. Uh, and it showed in the performance, you know, the mixed doubles patch and Tangje and Oiwe. Even though I think they did really well, uh, it was just the intensity of the South Koreans uh, that told in the second and third game. And it really showed uh, in terms of the physical uh, capabilities of, of both pairs. Mm. And then it also filtered through to the other matches. So I think if Malaysia played uh, in the evening match um, they could have they could have beaten the South Koreans yeah that's definitely one of the factors but the South Koreans are no pushovers are they of what? course of course especially in the doubles department right you're yeah. talking about uh, mixed doubles women's doubles and men's doubles mm. you know, all of them are, ro- are ranked in the top 10 top 20 yeah. so uh, they definitely had the upper hand in the doubles departments uh, whereas um, even in the women's singles as well, you know, world number two, Anse Young, uh, that was almost a given point. Mm. And Malaysia got, got the point through Lizzie Jia. I think the only at least heel that Korea had was in the men's singles. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all in all, it was, a, it was a good outing for the national contingent. You know, I think they drew a lot of confidence, yeah. um, especially, um, you know, after not really doing well in the in the world tour events individually they didn't really fare all that well but coming together as a group uh, you could see the bond as well you know within the team it was really strong and we can only hope that they will take this uh, into the upcoming tournaments mm, yeah, like that, beginning with the Malaysia Masters which is happening this week that's right, at the that's right. Arena. 
Mm, for sure, that sense of camaraderie uh, among the squad, right? But uh, taking a step back, uh, Nick, uh, it's only our third time winning the bronze medal at the Sudiman Cup. The other two came in 2009 and pretty recently, 2021. In your opinion, how did this campaign compare to the uh, performance of the previous editions of the Sudiman Cup? I'm not really privy to what happened in 2009 because we had a completely different squad yep. back yep. then. You know, the mm. likes of even Lee Chong-Wei, yep. Rosalind, uh, they were all... Um, beginning to peak or rather coming up in their careers. So um, they sort of set the benchmark at, at that time. Yeah. And, you know, we emulated that feat two years back in 21. Uh, that was also an amazing uh, achievement. I think we beat Indonesia in the quarterfinals and lost to Japan in the semifinals. So the target was really to try and match the achievement of, of the previous edition. And being in a group, uh, along with Chinese, Taipei and India are no mean feat. Yep, you know? yep. uh, it was definitely a battle between these three teams uh, with only two guaranteed a spot to the quarterfinal. And it was amazing to see how the national team uh, did against uh, both these teams. You know, We whipped India 5-0 in the group stage. And bear in mind, India had beaten us uh, at the Thomas Cup last right. year. So yep, there was yep. like some sort of redemption there. <laughs> And then to go into the match against Chinese Taipei, we all know that they also possess, you know, world-class players, you mm. know, Tai Zhu Ying, Chao Tian Chen, and even their men's doubles, they're all formidable opponents. We beat them pretty comprehensively as well for one, and then to take that and beat Denmark. So I think we, we really did well. It was unfortunate against the Koreans, but I think all in all, uh, the National Shuttlers and even the Badminton Association of Malaysia, you know, they'd be satisfied with this with this outing. Yeah, a commendable performance as well. Um, you were talking about uh, what was dubbed the group of death, right? Group C, you had Chinese Taipei, India, and as well as Minos, Australia. Like you rightly mentioned, you know, we cruised past them, but in that sense, we weren't expected to cruise by so easily. Were you ex- were you surprised uh, by with the ease? I was, I was indeed. Um, you see, in against India, uh, I expected us to drop one to two points. If yeah. I'm being absolutely honest, yeah, especially yeah. in the women's singles, hmm. uh, it was Go Jinwei stacked up against uh, PV Sindhu, right? You know, uh, just in terms of achievement, you would you would favor the Indian heavily. But credit to Jinwei, you know, she plugged in uh, right to the end, and she went through a grueling marathon battle. Mm. and came out top. So that was a huge bonus and it lifted the spirit of the team. And against Chinese Taipei, uh, Zijia went into his match against Chao Tenshen with a horrendous head-to-head record. You know, In fact, he hadn't beaten the guy in four years coming into that match. Mm. And it, he produced arguably his best match of the year. Mm. It was amazing performance. He won in straight games, but it just wasn't the manner of the, the, the result. Rather, the performance... Uh, he produced, I think, three shots of the tournament just in that match. Uh, the first, the first game, you know, an athletic backhand, which you know got fans mesmerized, and then he saved two points from the floor while on his knees in the second game. Yeah, so see. it was an amazing performance, mm. uh, individually and collectively. And it really surprised everyone and they just wanted more of it after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lizzie Jia ended this tournament with a 100% uh, winning record, winning rate. Like you said, you know, like you alluded to, it's a shame about the showdown with Axelson that, you know, really didn't happen. However, that being said though, Nick, uh, it looks like Zijia is back to his best. Yes, we, we hope so that, you know, he'll be able to, to keep this momentum, build on this momentum. 
um, and and keep shining in these upcoming individual events because the Sudirman Cup um, actually marks the start of the Olympic qualifying period. Yep. And it was great for him to rack up those wins in comprehensive manner because mm-hmm. now the individual events are beginning and it can only boost his confidence and with him, you know, about to get a new coach as well, poised to to sign an experienced coach uh, who has groomed the world champion, in his words, uh, I think we will see improved, mm. uh, a more comprehensive uh, Zija 2.0. Mm. On to something that you touched on a little bit, you know, national mixed double pair, Cheng Tang Ji and To Yi Wei. Uh, they won all their matches, all until that stumbling block of South Korea. Perhaps unlucky to lose the way they did. You know, they won the first set and then lost the next two. They started well, but they just failed to keep that momentum going, Nick. Um, again, I, I would have to um, say it, it had to do a lot with their physical condition as well. Mm. Uh, but like you mentioned earlier, you know, the South Korean pair are no slouches either. They are, they are more experienced. They capitalized on, on that. You know, they used the spaces well. Mm. They, they played at a high intensity. Mm. And I think they knew that they could take the Malaysians on over three games. So despite losing the first game, they really put the Petal, uh, the, the, the metal on, on the Malaysians and, and as a result, you can see that uh, the game plan or rather the strategy was was sort of haywire because, you know, the Malaysians was, was scrambling and, you know, it was last minute uh, diving retrievals and it in all exerted a little bit more energy and as a result, you know, they lost uh, the following two matches. But as a whole, Chen Tangje and Lo Iwe have progressed so much yeah. beyond the words of breaking into the world top 20. Mm. Uh, bear in mind, they only paired together late last year and they have already gone great guns. They have won uh, three titles, I think. Their first first uh, BWF World Tour title as well, they won this year at the Orleans Masters. So you can see the chemistry between both pairs. You know, they're even donning the same hair color. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah so, so they, they, they almost look like a brother and sister pair, you know, and that is so important uh, in a combination where you have the right uh, chemistry with each other and you work together so well as a pair. It's not only the good times when you're leading but rather, you know, even when you're trailing, that's when your 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 understanding and and your strategy comes into play. And I think they did everything also well. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Another match I want to talk about is Kaylet Shana. Uh, she had a really inspired performance against uh, the Korean world number two. Um, she lost, uh, and perhaps perhaps on paper it looks a bit uh, brutal. You know, twenty one ten, twenty one thirteen. But there's still plenty of positive to uh, to take away from that match. Uh, women singles, like we have talked about before, or the lack off has been the bane for ages now. And what are your thoughts on her performance, Kay Lichana? I think uh, Lichana did uh, really well. You know, coming into that match against the world number two, yeah. it's got it's to gotta be a daunting task for, for any shuttler, uh, let alone a shuttler who has not had much exposure at the highest level. But Lechana just went out there. She played like she had nothing to lose. She yep. gave it her all. Mm. She stretched Answer Young in a couple of rallies, really made her work hard for her points. She found some pretty impressive winners as well. And what I like about her most is uh, she has a variety, a variety in her game. You know, she, she defends well. She's very smart in her net play. And she has great attack as well. Something that we've not seen so much from our women single settler. Mm. So she seems to have the package but it's a package that is still very raw a package that needs grooming which i believe uh, she will get there in time yeah she has all the potential that's for sure but um she had a great performance but in your opinion should have 
we fielded Go Jinwei instead? I think uh, Go Jinwei's physical condition uh, really uh, didn't allow her to, you know, uh, compete in back-to-back matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned in previous shows, uh, Jinwei is dealing with with a stomach issue, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and she her condition allows her to only have one meal a day. This is what she told me last year. I'm not sure if things have changed, but she's very limited in what she consumes, in when she consumes it. Right. So. Bear in mind, she was stretched uh, in in three games, I believe, the day before uh, going through a marathon match, and she just simply didn't have that that physical capability uh, to come into the match against Anse Young. And it was it was fitting that you give Lechana a chance. I think either way, Anse Young would have beaten yep, you yep. know Jinwei or Lechana. So it <laughs> yeah. was it was a good it was a good exposure for Lechana. It was a good break for Jinwei. That was Nicholas Anil this week on Banan as we're reviewing the recently concluded Suleiman Cup. More Suleiman Cup talk to come, so to keep it here only on Banan on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl and this is Banan, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week on the show, we've been reviewing the Sudiman Cup, where the Malaysian contingent came home with a bronze medal, finishing at a commendable third place. In the semi-finals and the deciding match, national men's doubles pair and world champions Aaron Chia and Sowo Yik surprisingly failed to save the tie at 2-1, going down in straight sets to South Korean men's doubles 12-20. 11-21. It's a tournament where Aaron and Woyik were producing decent results, however, when it matters, ultimately a performance that was off par. Nicholas Anil joins us on the program this week as we review the Sudeman Cup. It's been the issue that has been plaguing uh, this men's double team uh, ever since they won the World Championship. I think it's been the same old story, you know, they they do well in one tournament and then when you expect them to beat an opponent which they are expected to beat on paper they somehow fail to show up that inconsistency is very glaring and it's something that has not been rectified as of yet i think it's also due to the chemistry between both pairs i know they've been together for a long time but in crucial moments they somehow can't seem to get their act together and they do concede a lot of easy points you know there's a lot of unforced errors there's a lot of rush shots there's a lot of left shots where you know you expect either one of them to be picking up so these are basic mistakes which a top pair shouldn't be making Mm. but it still is happening Mm. On their day, they can be magnificent. They can take on any pair. But when they are not on their day, then, you know, things like this happen. On paper, yes, they should have equalized. Everybody was looking at it as as an equalizer for Malaysia, you know, to take yeah. it to the wire. But it did not happen. And again, they have to go back to the drawing board. And it's all about working on the basics, I think. You know, it's, it's about being more diligent in their research of opponents, you know, talking a little bit more with each other and just trying to fix the basics on court. Yeah, fixing the basics, but also something uh, badminton legend Dato James Savaraj uh, talked about, especially when it came to Aaron Chia and Sowoyik, was um, he accused them, inverted commas, of not listening and, and following the game plan of coaches. Do you, do you think that's a valid observation uh, in your opinion? Uh, yes, to a certain extent, because uh, Rexy Minaiki, uh, the double coach, also uh, said this, that, you know, sometimes it's 
it's not easy to get through to the shuttlers uh, when you tell it to them just one time. Mm. You need to be repetitive in your instructions mm. and hope that they get it and they implement it. At the end of the day, the coaches can only do so much. Their duty is just borders outside the court. Whatever happens in the court is 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 on these players and the players themselves have said yes. It's it's all us. Mm. Uh, but somehow uh, that's not been the case. So. I think, yes, uh, they they just have to try and and look at themselves a little bit more and 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 work on 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 that. I think, yes, listening to the coach is one thing, but implementing on court is another thing mm. altogether. Mm. Sometimes you feel that you have to make decisions on court on your own, and that's fine. But the core of the matter is the strategy has already been presented by the coaches. The coaches have done the homework for you, mm. given you the 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 plan and. You have to try and follow it as much as possible. It's all about executing it, right? Um, to wrap yeah. up, Nick, on uh, this part of the Sudiman Cup review um, post-tournament, YB Hanayo was particularly impressed about the synergy between the independent shuttlers as well as the BAM shuttlers. However, I'm wondering, you know, is this sustainable? I think it it has to be sustainable. They have to work together as one because being being separated, it just doesn't make sense at all. At the end of the day, you're competing for Malaysia, so the interest of the country comes first above everything else and you know we have so many team events that are going to be coming up and the team is going to be made up of national players and independent players mm. and the independent players have shown that they are on par if not better than the national shuttlers so they cannot be a separation um you know of sorts mm. and it's good to see that they were united as a team there, there wasn't like you know any separation uh, between the national players or the professional players, their friends on court, their friends off court. Yeah. So we we just have to keep this going because uh, we do have a formidable squad. I think we are on the verge of a breakthrough. You see semi-finals. You know, who knows? In the next edition, we could make the final. And like I mentioned, upcoming team events. We have the Asian Games coming later on this year. And obviously, there's the Olympics as well. So the the Thomas Cup is also happening next year. So just be united, and I think uh, it, it will really stand us in good stead. Mm, uh, this is definitely a good warm up to all those tournaments, like you mentioned, but also one that's happening this week, the Malaysian Masters. Uh, based on the performance in China, Nick, what are your expectations from this? Well, there are several high-profile players that will be missing. Uh, several key Chinese players that won't be around. Uh, Victor is also not around. Yep. So on home turf, I really, really hope uh, that the Malaysian shuttlers can deliver this time. Last year was not good. I think we only had one pair, two pairs in the semi-finals at the Malaysia Open earlier this year. We didn't even make the semis. I think it was only up to the quarterfinals. So uh, the national shuttlers really need to step up. The interest for the Malaysian Masters is at an all-time high, as usual, you know, so many badminton lovers who have been clamoring to get tickets, you know, yep. they've been wanting to meet the shuttlers and also you can expect full houses right from today until the final. And if we have a Malaysia representative in the final on Sunday, I'm sure the fans will bring the house down and we expect the shuttlers to do the same as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, that's the Malaysian Masters happening this week. Uh, Nick, from a promising campaign, good achievement in China, we move on to a disastrous one for Malaysia. Uh, a few weeks ago, 
at the SEA Games in Cambodia. Uh, the contingent finished 7 out of 11 countries, only ahead of Myanmar, Laos, uh, Brunei and Timor-Leste. Uh, we took home 34 goals, which is short of our 40-goal target. Um, but uh, bad campaign, but why? What, what's your take from it? I think I, I'll be repeating myself uh, from, what, <laughs> from what I told you last year when we, when we spoke about, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's just the lack of so many basic things, you know, uh, grassroots developments, the lack of proper sporting facilities and perhaps even the lack of exposure for these athletes uh, test themselves against uh, their regional counterparts. The SEA Games for me is a breeding ground, uh, the most basic breeding ground for every athlete competing, uh, not just Malaysians, but, you know, Southeast Asia as a whole, mm. for them to move on to bigger and better things. You're talking about the Asian Games, you're talking about the Commonwealth Games, and there's obviously the Olympic Games. So if we're going to judge these athletes' uh, performance, I would say you got to judge them just based on, on their medal count. And, and not just medal count, you got to judge them based on gold medals because... Mm. I, I would hardly consider silver and bronze as a marker because the SEA Games seems to be giving away medals like candies. <laughs> they, they're almost just handing them out because of the biasness of the host nations, which has so many events in their favor. So uh, it's it's not difficult to win medals at the SEA Games. So you got to ultimately judge these athletes based on the gold medals that we've won. And if you look at this campaign, you know, we won 34. And it shows the regression uh, from, from addition to addition. We won 39 in Hanoi. We won 56 in Philippines. Uh, and when we hosted in KL, we won over 140. That's right. So, you know, so many things have gone wrong. You can't really point it to one particular um, scenario. You know, it's it's a culmination of, of everything. It's a culmination of the lackadaisical attitudes of the national sports associations, the lack of exposure for these athletes. And yeah, it, it has just contributed to an epic failure and disaster. You say that, Nick, but also on the point you touched on, you know, being the host nation, right? Obviously, our crowning glory was in 2017, the KLC Games. But do you think it's fair to compare it, you know, to medal tallies of previous editions? Because, you know, like you say, you know, sports are, and games are dropped and included at every edition. Yes, but um, a lot of the Olympic sports are mainstay. You know, you're talking about track and field, you talk about diving, you talk about swimming, mm. uh, you talk about badminton, mm. and you gauge the athlete's success based on the performance in, in these core sports. Uh, and they fail to deliver as well. You know, you talk about track and field, uh, a lofty target of 10 gold medals was set. They delivered half. You know, you talk about swimming, and they delivered one gold medal. Mm. You talk about badminton, one gold medal, a paltry one gold medal target was set and they failed to, to deliver that. No doubt, everyone sent a young squad. I mean, the national contingent sent a young squad, but so did all the other countries. So we really have no excuse when it comes to giving excuses uh, <laughs> for performance of athletes, especially in these core Olympic sports. Mm. For, forget the, the other traditional sports or the favorite sports that the host nation has introduced because that is... That is, uh, I would say, biasness on a different level altogether. You know, the host nation would almost certainly win. Uh, on the flip side, though, you know, uh, looking at the campaign in Cambodia, were there any standout performances that deserve recognition for you? Yes, 
definitely we always got to look at the positives and and you know uh, as much as as we want to cast castigate uh the, the athletes that did not perform we got to also look at the athletes which shown and there were a couple of them um shireen valaboy you know our national 400 meter athlete uh, this is a athlete that has been based in the united states for quite some time now she recently broke a 30 30 year uh, record in the 400 meters and it was a blessing for us that she actually came down and competed uh, at the cambodia sea games and she won gold and she followed in the footsteps of her parents samson and josephine who were multiple gold medalists at the sea games mm. so that was a really nice story you know to see sharon kasherin valaboy following the footsteps of her parents and and deliver gold mm. karate for us did well as well we won four golds uh, pencak silat four golds and tan chong min you know she delivered two goals in wushu apart from that uh, we had uh, lego sam you know this guy competed in the men's breakdance and he, he won gold and bear in mind uh, nice. paris olympics next year have introduced breakdancing that's so right yep if we have a potential gold medalist <laughs> I, i would maybe pencil lego sam as one of them hmm. um And also we had uh, one of our youngest athletes, uh, 11-year-old Zara Alicia, who took part in fin swimming. Mm. Um, so these were some of the nice stories uh, that came out of the uh, Cambodia Sea Games. And we can only hope that these athletes will continue to do us proud um, at the upcoming Asian Games as well. 100%. Uh, talking about that, Nick, um, I know that Sea Games is meant for you know um, the grassroots development, amateur athletes, if you will. But was is it fair to say that this year priority was not given to Sea Games with the Asian Games coming up later this year? Yeah, I think the national contingent were made out of uh, mainly uh, young athletes. I think if I'm not mistaken, half of them were below the age of uh, 23. Hmm. Um, but This is where the younger athletes uh, gets a platform to shine, to to show what they are made of. Because if you talk about the Asian Games, we are going to send our elite athletes. Yep. Our representation is a very elite contingent. You know, usually we get between 20 to 40 athletes only. So it's always reserved for the elite athletes. So in terms of our approach of sending these young athletes, I think it was a right move. It's just about trying to get these athletes to a better level um, after this because what what happened at the sea games should never ever happen again mm. you know we we finished above the likes of laos myanmar uh, uh, timoria uh, timor leste these these countries don't even have basic sporting facilities so what excuse do we have you know we are lacking in some but we are pretty comprehensive Uh, especially if you're talking about you know facilities at the uh, in Klang Valley where all our our up and coming and elite athletes are based so there isn't really an excuse and the excuse that were given as well you know make what you want of of those excuses but i i i just found it uh, not sufficient you know the, the using uh, using the, the the same phrases that they're young they are inexperienced mm, mm. even even the change of governments that have contributed uh, to a certain extent yes but these are full time athletes who are training day in day out and mm, mm. you can't really justify Uh, those performances. Yeah, apart from the government excuse, it's almost like the same story every year, right? At the Sea Games. Yeah, exactly. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give an excuse, right? You gotta come up with an explanation, right? Mm, so mm. this was the explanation. But if you deep, deep dive deeper into it, um, 
you'd want to know why this happened, right? And you want a post-mortem. Now, in the previous games, after the performances, a post-mortem was always required. But a post-mortem was never forthcoming. Huh. So we, we really hope that this time we would get a full detailed report mm. on what went wrong. And not only that, we do not want to just get a report of excuses. We want to get solutions as well. Mm. So I'm waiting to see mm, that, just, that the findings of this, this post-mortem and the steps taken to move forward. Great stuff. Uh, to end off, Nick, uh, what are some of the lessons that can be learned from this campaign in Cambodia? Just get better. Just be better. <laughs> um, I think up. accountability from the respective national sports associations also uh, needs to happen. You know, in Malaysia, we have a habit of uh, individuals holding multiple posts acro- across various associations. And some of the associations are core Olympic sports. So accountability needs to happen. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. Only in badminton, it has happened so far when mm, the mm. women's team lost to Philippines. Resigned. Right? Um, yep. The CEO of the uh, Academy Badminton Malaysia tendered her resignation and rightfully so, but I haven't seen the rest stepping up. So accountability needs to happen. You know, we need to have a solid, not only a grassroots plans, but an existing plans for all these athletes, you know, uh, training plans, uh, development plans, uh, overseas teams, even perhaps getting good coaches. Uh, it has to be the whole works and it has to happen soon because the next SEA uh, Games is happening in Thailand and that's going to be a mega competitive affair, I'm sure. That was Nicholas Anil as this week on the program we've been reviewing the Sea Games in Cambodia as well as the Suleiman Cup in China. With that, we've come to the end of this week's episode. If you'd like to revisit this show, you can head over to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none. And if you'd like to get in touch with the program, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name is Daryl and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week when you're here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.